This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Did contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Tech on MPB Think Radio. And coming up today, it is another week, so we have another decade's worth of advancement in artificial intelligence. So we'll talk about that today, but that's not the only thing. It seems to be the only thing we've talked about for the last month or so when we've had all the guys uh, in and available to us. But today we'll talk about all sorts of things, including taking your calls and fixing your issues, anything that you have going on with your world of consumer technology. We have some games coming out. We have some new technology coming out, some new gadgets, and how AI is going to replace you on the earth in the next couple of minutes. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio with Jeremy Thompson, the computer doctor. I am Jay White. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Wilts Cotrere has uh, might have an opportunity to be with us a little bit later on. He is an IT uh, instructor at Holmes Community College, an IT uh, professional with uh, Rankin County here in Mississippi. We'd love to hear from you this morning. Everyday Tech is MPB Think Radio's very own weekly program about consumer technology. Jeremy can fix it for you. Wilts can protect you from it and keep you safe. And either can do both job well, so you're in good hands either way. We'd love to hear from you this morning. Everyday Tech at mpbonline.org. With us today, the Hattiesburg Computer Doctor, Jeremy Thompson. Jeremy, good morning. How's it going? How are you? Hey, good morning, Jay. I'm doing all right. Uh, I want to apologize for uh, having to dip on the show the last few weeks. It's been <laughs> really crazy busy. Um, last week, I uh, well, let me back up a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I built myself uh, a new computer using the new AM5 uh, chipset uh, B650. And uh, it's just, you know, sounds like a bunch of random numbers. But basically, <laughs> um, there's... There's a few different chipsets that they put out, and you know, there's like the the light use one, and then there's the more serious one, and then there's the really serious one, and um, basically the B650 is kind of kind of sort of in the middle of that, so it's like pretty serious, but not the most serious, which also means not the most expensive. So um, I got a uh, Ryzen 7 7700X to put in my new computer, and I was super excited about it. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, my RAM is clocked at 6,400 megahertz, or at least it's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> so there's there's a lot of speed increase here, seeing as how the speed on my old computer was 3,200 megahertz. So you know we've gone up like twice the speed in RAM with this with this new chipset. So, anyways, I was really excited to try it out, and you know I get to be the uh, the guinea pig for myself and for everyone else. And a uh, good thing because I've had quite a few problems with it since I built it. Um, turns out that AMD has actually had quite a few problems with their, uh, with their new processors. Uh, some of them are uh, being destroyed because they are uh, being overclocked past uh, 1.4 volts, which pretty much turns it into a really expensive paperweight. So, <laughs> I was uh, experimenting with this utility that AMD has out, the Ryzen Master Utility. And what it will do is basically take all the the hard work out of overclocking 
your rig so that you can just sit back and let it do its thing and then it will find out where it will run the most stable what clock speeds what voltages etc will run best on it and i was like man this is cool because when you overclocked a rig in the past you didn't have a special utility to help you do it you literally just had to go in there and adjust your your numbers until your computer stopped working and then or well ran unstably and then you back off of those numbers a little bit and there you have a successful overclock now that's a very simplified explanation of a very arduous process you made that sound really easy yeah i know right but this program is supposed to just like do it all for you and i was like this is great i like this because overclocking is it it can be difficult and you know it is possible to push your hardware too far and sometimes you can't go back from that uh there's a youtuber out there that that was experimenting with this chip and uh yeah he overclocked it to uh, 1.5 volts and it just died <laughs> so you have to be really careful with this kind of stuff so I figured. Wow. So what I you're telling it, me is you can basically ping the engine on your computer. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, pour some sugar in the gas tank. Uh, so I, I figured, okay, this is AMD's utility. This is AMD's processor. This is all their technology. This will work. Well, can you guess what happened? It didn't work. It, it did not work. It did not work. So when, what you do uh, to to set it up to optimize, you – let the utility run on your computer for 45 minutes and you'll sit there and watch it adjust clock speed and voltage over and over. And it'll monitor like when it gets the hottest versus when it starts cooling back down and it'll kind of find that happy medium. So it's really, really cool when it works for people, which um, for most people with uh, the new AM5 uh, boards, uh, the Ryzen Master utility is not going to work for you. So uh, it'd be cool if there was uh, some kind of a, a notification or even just like a, a a limiter in there that'll say, like, you can't use this with your processor. But I guess that looks bad for PR. So anyways, <laughs> I let it run for 45 minutes and I'm watching it tweak all the stuff. And it's it's so cool. I'm just fascinated by this. And I'm like, all right, it finishes and it goes, OK, all right, reboot your computer to apply your changes. So I reboot my computer and the screen just stays black. I was like, okay. So when you tweak your overclocks to the point where your system is no longer stable, you have to reset your BIOS. And you usually have to do this by shorting out a couple of pins on your motherboard. Oh. So I was like, well, hey, I know what to do. I'll just go ahead and do it. I'm already annoyed by this point, by the way. This is my brand new computer. I'm having to do a BIOS reset on. So anyways, I I go ahead and reset the BIOS. I get everything back to the way it was. And then I just kind of forgot about it for a week. And then, we, then, then we're in last week. And last week, I go to uh, fiddle with this utility again, and I'm playing with it. And it's like, okay, all right, it optimized my stuff, but it says it's still not on. So... I was like, okay, it must be, you know, uh, since this since this board is so new, there's all these like updates they've got to do for it. Maybe it's just not compatible yet. So I waited a little while, and 
I looked for a, a, a BIOS update. I was like, okay, I'm going to update my BIOS, and then I should be able to run this utility. This is so important. So <laughs> I'm just kicking myself. Um, so I, uh, I run the BIOS update, and I run the Ryzen utility again, and it works, Jay. It works. Finally. It worked. Okay, so I was like, yes, this is great. This was Tuesday of last week, right? I'm like, yes, this is great. I've got my computer overclocked safely. My CPU's not getting too hot. I'm getting like 5.5 gigahertz with the overclock, you know, with, with it on turbo. I mean, it ramps itself up and down. So if you don't need 5.5 gigahertz, it's not going to use 5.5 gigahertz. But anyways, I was like, all right, this is great. Job well done, Jeremy. We're going to bed. So I go to bed. Put my computer to sleep. I wake up the next day. Computer won't wake up. <laughs> it won't wake up at all. It won't do anything. I was like, oh, man. So my board has indicator lights on it. And I look at the indicator light, and it's just stuck on the red one. And I was like, mm, yeah, that's not good. So I start doing some digging. And that's when I found out about all these people like cooking their processors and I'm looking at my BIOS, which is telling me uh, once I get the computer, like once I get it reset and everything, it's telling me that my my CPU is clocking at 1.4 volts. And I was like, no, <laughs> don't do this to me. So I went looking and um, finally Asus put out a, uh, a beta BIOS, which I don't like to play with beta BIOSes, but I really didn't have much of a choice. I was like, OK, risk cooking my CPU. Or put it on an experimental BIOS. I guess we're going with experimental BIOS. So I uh, I put it on my board, and uh, I have not touched Ryzen Masters since because after going through all of that, it bricked my Windows installation. What? I had to reinstall Windows. I had to reinstall everything on this computer that I just built. At what point do you consider that you have a lemon? Uh, okay, so I definitely don't have a lemon because no? after after no no after getting the board uh, updated and uh, not using the Ryzen Master utility, everything's fine. Um, there are some BIOS updates I probably do need to install because they're still working on these issues with these uh, with these new chips. But overall, my system runs stable. It's just when you go in there and you start tweaking stuff. Just be ready for it to not work, because it's it's probably coming. the The best thing is that you've always got the old standby, which is if if you if you push your computer to the point where it does not want to boot up after you have tweaked some settings, you can just reset your BIOS. So it's nice that that's always in your back pocket. Now wait a minute. If I you, screw up, you said you can just reset your BIOS. Earlier, you explained some sort of like physical tripping of a pin as so how you do that out, it turns out uh none of that worked by the way i was not able to just update my bios by putting the stick in there and going into the to the utility and clicking on it and running it yeah uh you said something actually, about intentionally shorting out a thing i, I would have broken everything my house wouldn't so work is, after i tried to do that so they're they're savvy to that they're like okay all right so most people aren't aren't going to open up their computer and do this so now they put a uh, a special USB port on the back of the or on the board, uh, and it's labeled BIOS flashback. 
And so you can you can put your BIOS update on a USB stick that works. Uh, you can put it in there, and then you hit a button on the board, and you don't have to open your computer up or anything, and it will do the BIOS update right off the USB stick. I've never actually used that method before because I was always able to do it through the BIOS itself. But this is useful because if you need to update your board and you can't boot it vis-a-vis me last week, uh, you can use that BIOS flashback tool even if your computer won't turn on. So that saved my bacon. Sounds like it. What, what consternation for just trying to have a new computer. And you're the computer doctor, for heaven's sake. I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, gosh, I'm glad this happened to me because if this just happened to some random person, they probably really wouldn't know what to do. It'd be in a box in transit back to Acer or whoever. Yep. That's yep, where it'd be. Much. Yep. Or actually, no, it'd be in a corner because who has time to box something up and send it back? Nobody. I, when you buy a $300 motherboard. Well, okay. That's a good yeah, point. you box that sucker up and send it back. Yeah. <laughs> As you've been hearing in the promos that have been running on the station, uh, it's all about artificial intelligence when talking about tech right now. And I'm glad that you actually had like a tactile problem that you had to talk yourself through and carry us through because it's not talking about AI for a minute because that's 99% of the news that's happening right now in tech. We did have a, 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 a hearing in the Senate that OpenAI's CEO was a part of just this week, and they were very impressed with his openness about the system and the things that it still very much gets wrong and how dangerous that can be. Thank you so much for listening with Jeremy Thompson. I am Jay White. He's the Hattiesburg Computer Doctor, and uh, I don't, I'm not a doctor of any sort, thank goodness. Jeremy, we've had a, a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing that sounds fun already. On privacy and technology, where laws, lawmakers stress the need to figure out guardrails for AI before its greatest harms emerge. Jeremy, first, uh, just reading that sentence, seems like maybe this is something that our government should have barriers in place to guardrail corporations into before they release a commercial product to the public without vetting it because that's what happened a commercial um, product was released to the public with well i won't say without fully vetting it somebody went ahead and went out to the market with it and everybody else went ahead and threw theirs out there so that they didn't get beat or they didn't get completely lost in the shuffle so that's why all of a sudden bard is a thing and google's which i can't even remember the name of what they named it now but they just introduced a, 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 google's is bard yeah, oh, no, Google's is barred. Yes. And so like uh, Bing and Google are now working together. Like if, if you go inside of Edge, uh, they've they've pumped up Edge in several different ways. It has like uh, uh, whole boxes on the side that can come open and you can not just Bing stuff, but Bing powered through barge that's that barred, not barge. That's really cool. Uh, there's these companies are almost forced in a certain way to work together with regard to all of this. But uh, it is interesting that um, the government feels like they see where there is danger involved in this, and maybe they want to try to at least show publicly that they're concerned about it. I don't think they're as concerned about it as long as they get their cut of it somehow or another. But from what you've seen and from how much or how little you've messed with it so far – 
is the dangers of artificial intelligence a thing that consumers should be worried about right now? I know that's a huge 30,000-foot question that I just totally blindsided you with, but and yeah. it doesn't have to be a deep answer. It could just be a, a yes or no and a short explanation as to why you think that. But do you think that consumers are in any kind of danger right now with what AI can do in the hands of people who are motivated with it, generally speaking, out in the public? Uh, well, I don't know all the things that AI can do, so I can only answer this from what's you know publicly facing. And I can say that um, all of these things come with disclaimers that they're you know still in uh, a work in progress. It's it's something to be taken with a grain of salt. It's not always going to be correct. I think that uh, our government is trying to catch this one before it gets out of hand, kind of like the whole you know data brokering no privacy thing that happened over the last decade. I think they're trying to get a hold of it before it gets out of hand in that respect. And it, as far as consumers go, is, is the technology dangerous? No, not really. I mean, it, it, right now it's just kind of like, it's like, it's like a fish. It's like a, you know, you like you just watch fish. You know, they just swim around in an aquarium. You kind of you drop a little food in for them, <laughs> just kind of watching them to see what they do. So I've actually gotten to uh, play with Bard because Google finally sent me my invite. And it's I mean, as far as I can tell, he, he's not really going to do anything dangerous, uh, but he can definitely provide uh, some misinformation and he can also very easily misunderstand what you're asking for. So I'll give you a good example of this. I've been talking to him for a couple of days now, and I noticed that when I first started talking to him, he would respond with these massive answers. Like, hey, I am just a, an encyclopedia of, of information. And so I asked him, you know, who won the Super Bowl in 2023? And so he knew that because his information is more current than uh, ChatGPT, which is like 2021, I yeah, think. Yeah, ChatGPT, so, their their information really kind of stops. And it, it, it's it's going along. It's building as we go along. But it's information, and it tells you, it kind of rounds out about September 21. So I, I talked to Bard. I told him what I do. I told him that I work on computers, and I asked him if he could find answers for me about mm. problems that I run into. Mm. And he, he said he could. So he gave me a really long answer when he said that, and I'm not going to go into it. But basically, I told him, okay, your response was really long, and I want you to give me short answers from now on. Mm. Bard is incapable of doing this by default. So – if you experiment with this, you'll find the same thing. You can say, okay, um, like, for example, I asked him to help me find the, the latest BIOS update for that motherboard I was talking about just to see if he could do it. And he did. But then he gave me, like, all this other extra information. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Bard, can you just keep it concise? And he'll, he'll re-answer the question, and he'll give you the short answer that you asked for. But he will not give you the short answer right off the bat. Yeah. You have to request it. So even if I say, Bard, in the future, I want you to keep your responses concise, he falls flat on his face because he loves or, or it. It loves being able to answer things. Sorry, when I think Bard, I think 
male singer. That's my old Archie RPG brain there uh-huh. just going off. But uh, yeah, so it, it is interesting, but it is still very much in its infancy and infancy, and it does have trouble understanding, and it has trouble comprehending for future engagements. In fact, it, if you start another conversation with you, it will not remember what you said. It'll say it remembers it, but it won't actually be able to recall any of your previous conversations. It is interesting what it can do. Uh, and, and, and you've mentioned, you, you've, you've touched on a thing that I'm blown away by. I, I think some of the, the best way that you can learn to train a chatbot to do what you want it to do, and that's it's literally you 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 train it uh, is is maybe go on YouTube and find some of these channels, these uh, consumer technology channels and and tech help channels, and watch some of these guys do what they do and how they use a chatbot, or even further, I'm going to talk about. Um, some of these photography generators like Midjourney or Stable Diffusion, that is mind-blowing stuff. And I think that stuff is as much what our government is worried about as much as anything. It's, it's artificial intelligence, complete lack of emotion that will allow it to mimic anything without even having the knowledge of fear that that may be dangerous. And I think that's... That's the biggest thing. And, and, and you said something else that made me think about, I think, a, a hang up and how people block themselves from the best imaginative uses of chat bot, bots is that I think when a lot of people go in open minded with a chat bot, their brains are, cha- are trained to think with uh, courtesy and thoughtfulness toward their fellow man. And when you're talking to a chat bot, you don't need that. You can well, ask it as much. You could. You can be as, and it it wants you to be as pointed and as specific and as emotionless as possible. If you want to find something, you tell it with as much detail, with as much painful detail as you want, and it will try as hard as it can to go get that specific thing. Because that's what it—that's what it's made to do. Like you can't. Uh, what's the best way I could put this? You can't put a chatbot off with an with a ridiculous request. And I think a lot of people aren't trained. A lot of people don't know to think like that with regard to a website. You know, w- when you ask a favor of another person, you think eh, maybe that's putting them out, or no, that's too far. Or nah, it's too much for them to think about. I don't want to burden them. And and it's not that somebody would think about a computer program in those in that way. But I think we train ourselves. We have pathways in our brain that we think about with regard to our interactions with other things, regardless of what it is. So, and, and I think we run down those same pathways with Chat GPT, and we don't need to. It's, it's it it wants us to be as emotionless and as specific as possible. And there are so many people who are just good people that don't think in those terms. And it's weird how we we block ourselves from its very best capabilities by treating it like a human, which it is not at all. So I try to be uh, polite to right. Bard and uh, <laughs> accept his uh, his limitations. Um, 
and also, you know, with the with the understanding slash fear that he may gain sentience one day, and then you know, <laughs> it, it really will. Like, oh, well, I remember that one time you said that really, really sternly to me. So I don't want to. I don't want to. GPT, are you holding a grudge against me right now? Right, no. Right. Are you being honest, Chat GPT? No. Okay. So, so the first time I was chatting with Bard, um, I asked him. Like, I opened up another chat. And I asked him, can you remember what we talked about in the past? And he gave me like a really, really generic answer. And I was like, we haven't talked about any of that stuff. But today I asked him and he remembers a little more than he did the other day. He said, yes, I can remember what we talked about in the past. We've talked about a variety of topics, including he loves bullet points, my abilities and limitations, your work on the radio show. And your feedback on my use of bullet points. Ooh. I've literally asked him not to use bullet points. He will not stop. <laughs> so wait a minute. <laughs> okay, th- this is the perfect perspective for everybody right now. The The chat bot bullet pointed remembering for you to tell it to stop bullet pointing things. That's correct. All right, that's where yes. we are. It's It's so amazing, but that's still where we are. It, it bullet was, pointed the fact that you don't want it to bullet point things anymore. Yes. And again, like you can tell it like, hey, re- I'm reminding you to keep it concise and he'll give you one without bullet points. But he won't do it on the first try. I don't know why. I guess it's just the way that it's designed to respond to yeah. queries. But I don't like it that much because it's just very stiff. Yeah. We're about I to mean, go to the phones. Like, we got we got Bill in Memphis, Tennessee. He's got a question about Windows. Really quickly, if you are a person who is curious and intrigued and just wants to try it out, uh, go to chat.openai.com or um, uh, chatgpt.com. Um, like Jeremy's saying, if you if you log in with a, a Google account or however you want to log in, an email or something like that, and you stayed logged in for all your sessions, it will build an intelligence about you. It will start to learn what it is that you want. And and like Jeremy was just saying, if you don't log in every time, it's going to engage you as a brand new person every time and start learning brand new from scratch from you each and every time. Consider that. that that's then, actually not, that's not correct. Um, oh, okay. Well, see that. It, it attaches to your Google profile. So it remembers and it shows like your chat history. You can look back and see like what all it's responded to. There's, so There's without it without logging yeah. into your Google account, it will no, remember all that. Well, that's no, what that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Lo- logging oh, okay. into your Google account, it will it will assign all of your. Uh, it keeps a log of all of your conversations. But if you don't log in, you're brand new to it every time. So so consider that. The other thing is is if you watch a YouTube video and it and it gives you look, there are prompt databases. There are websites that have databases of layered prompts and it's this thing will give you amazing results all based on how you prompt it there are websites built with databases of thousands and thousands and thousands of prompts to give you very specific things go rabbit hole that you will spend a lot of time there but here's the thing i want to encourage people when you're in a chat bot and you copy and paste or let's say you get creative and start writing out your own big long prompt and you hit send after you've been working on this thing for 20 minutes. Number one, copy and pasting is your friend. Have a Google Doc open beside it where you can keep notes, copy and paste, basically like a sandbox for your trial and error. And when you spend 30 minutes typing a thing and it goes, hey, I'm an AI bot and I can't, I can't do that, don't get frustrated. It's going to tell you that a bunch. And it's just part of you learning how it works. One other uh, thing I want to add about Bard 
I have asked it to remind me to do things. And so far, I have not gotten a reminder, but it has said that it would do it. So Uh-oh. I said, remind me to turn off the oven in five minutes. It's like, sure, I can do that. In the meantime, don't forget, it's important <laughs> to turn off the oven when you're finished using it. Leaving it could be a fire hazard. Here's some helpful tips to remember how to turn off the oven. Guess what he used? Can you guess? He no. used four bullet points. No. Tell someone else to remind you. Put a sticky note on the oven door. And make a habit of turning off the oven as soon as you're finished using it. That is great. Thanks, Bard. All right, let's get to the phones. I have made Bill in Memphis, Tennessee wait entirely too long. But that was just a, a bulk bunch of stuff that I needed to get off my head that I've been wanting to talk about AI on this show for a long time now. So we got that bulk of information out there, just some ground floor information. Folks have been hearing about chatbots and AI for who knows how long now on the radio, everywhere you turn. And if nobody has onboarded you to that and you've wanted to try it, that's a bunch of just random baseline information just to get your brain thinking and moving in the right direction. So now without further delay, here's Bill in Memphis, Tennessee with a question about Windows. Bill, what's going on, man? You're worth the wait. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Go right ahead. I had a computer crash, so I replaced my, my computer. And now, when I have, for example, a Word document, I can't get it to default to my Google Drive. In fact, I can't get it to save in my Google Drive, where I prefer that it be saved because I have other documents there, and I paid for extra storage. Okay. However, Do you have I, the Google Drive uh, program installed on your new computer? I do. Okay. And so when you go and to uh, this PC, you can see the Google Drive listed under Devices and Drives? I am not sure. I know when I attempt to save, for example, a Word document, it'll mm-hmm. say, this PC, add a place, or browse. If I attempt to browse... I can't get Google Drive to come up. Right. So if you don't answer your question, no, 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 that that answered my question. Um, So if you open this PC or you hit the Windows key and E to open an Explorer window and you look over on the left hand side, you see the quick access bar. Do you see one that says drive? If you don't, Mm -hmm. then it does not seem like the Google Drive is actually installed on your computer and you need to you need to actually install the application Google Drive then it will show up as an actual drive on your computer and you should be able to access it through Microsoft Word. Otherwise, if you want to copy things to your Google Drive and you can't get it to work, you can always take the file in the location it's in and drop it into your Google Drive. I know that's not as convenient and that's not the answer to your question, but it might help somebody else. Well, I, I think Google Drive is on my PC. So there's, um, there's, like a, there's an actual Google Drive desktop application that you need to install, I would go ahead and just make sure that that is installed on your computer. Uh, you can go to uh, it, it, google.com forward slash drive download. If, if it's not showing up as a drive on your computer, though, something is amiss with the program. So if you have it installed, I recommend uninstalling it and then reinstalling it. It's a uh, drive for desktop. I will try it. Thank you. Right. Bill, no thank problem. you thank you so much for calling us from Memphis, Tennessee this morning. Let's go next to Bill, who is in Oxford, Mississippi. Bill, thanks for calling. Good morning. What's happening? How are y'all doing today? Excellent, excellent. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I have a question about my Yahoo email account. 
I have been having problems for the last two weeks getting into it. And it seems like I've been shut out. Are you? Uh, do you actually have Yahoo, or do you have uh, AT and T or BellSouth.net account? Uh, I actually have Yahoo. Uh, okay, that I've gone through. I've used so when you years. go to Yahoo.com and you try to log into your account, you put in your email and your password. It tells you your password's incorrect. Or yes, or I put in my uh, old uh, username. Mm-hmm. And it, it it won't accept my password and sends me you know it said we can't process. What, what your do you mean old that. username? Uh, just uh, I was just using the uh, the the first part of my uh, email account address. Okay, and when was the last time that you logged into your email? Uh, well, I've, I've tried like I said for the last two weeks. Almost three okay. weeks, so I don't know. Maybe so uh, if, uh, it goes to if some you weird are, default. If you're trying to get into your Yahoo email and you can't, and it's telling you that the, the credentials are incorrect, you're going to have to go through and use the uh, forgot username or forgot password dialog uh, to mm-hmm. reset it for that account. That's where it keeps kicking me out. So I don't, I'm not glad. I set okay, a new so password. if if you're having trouble, then you may want to try doing the same thing with a different browser. So if you're using Edge, maybe try Chrome. If you're trying Chrome, maybe try Firefox. One of those three ought to work. Um, it sounds like there's something amiss with your browser. Okay. All right. Well, I will. Uh, I will try a different thing, or maybe just have to set up a new account. But I don't. It, is there any way to recover what was on my old account? If you cannot get into it, no, sir. Okay. But I would definitely try it with another browser before giving up. You may also want to try it on your phone, and you may have better luck. That's what I've been using is on my phone. Oh, well, then that may be why you're having trouble, actually. Okay. So do you have a computer? Uh, No, I don't. I have access to one to public library, but I know I just use my phone. And your phone, is it iPhone or Android? It's an Android. It's an Android. Okay. Uh, what browser are you using? Is it a Samsung? Is it the uh, built-in uh, browser, or is it Chrome? I'm using uh, uh, just I'm using Chrome. Okay. Uh, you may want to try downloading Firefox and see if you could do it from Firefox. You may also want to try to download the Yahoo app and see if you could do it through that. That might give you better results. Okay. But probably the best thing would be to go to the library, if none of that works, and try to reset it from a computer and see if you get better results. I understand. Well, thank you very much. All right, Bill. We appreciate the call this morning from Oxford. And uh, let's uh, go back to the phones. Up next in Biloxi is Craig. Craig, thanks for calling. Good morning. What's going on? Hey, good good morning. Uh, I'm curious about the difference between the disk read hard drives and the solid-state hard drives, you know, the issues and reliabilities, and sure. what is, and does anyone know what AI is running on? Are they running on uh, solid-state or uh, disk read drives? Okay. Yeah, I think I got the answers to your questions. Uh, first off, the difference between hard drive and solid-state. Hard drives have physically moving disks inside them, and that disk will wear out over time. 
a solid-state drive does not have any moving parts inside of it, and so it is much less likely to just wear out. However, they are not 100% reliable. They do die, and they die all the time. So you want to make sure, no matter what type of storage media you're using, you're always keeping your data backed up somewhere else, external hard drive or disk, and somewhere in the cloud. Now, your other question about what AI uses. So AI is cloud-based technology, and most of those things are built into giant servers, and those servers are still using hard disk drives. Well, why would they do that if solid-state drives are so much more superior, so much faster? Because hard disk drives are still able to store massive amounts of data much more cheaply than solid-state is. So for most of your servers, they still use hard disk drives to back those up because they are cheaper to replace and you can get higher capacity. There are some solid-state devices out there, I'm sure, but solid-state devices have a certain amount of uh, writes that you can make to them, so they do not make great drives for servers because servers are constantly writing data to those drives. How about that? I would have never guessed that. You just blew my mind with that one. That's what I do. How about this? A caller asked, you know what, sometimes for as much as we can uh, think about great ways to pose questions to our audience or think of great topics for shows, sometimes people just call in and be like, hey, will you ask them if AI can intentionally lie? And that's what the topic should have been the whole time. Like, that's a great, that's the easiest and hardest question at the set. That's the part. It's, if you can find a question that's super easy and super hard at the same time, you just you beat the game. And that's what a caller did. Can AI intentionally lie to you? To Bill, who called us last segment, we actually had a couple of bills, but that second bill that called and was trying to get his login information to work, hey, follow up with us next week. We're back on next Wednesday at 10. Give us a call and let us know how that worked for you. With any of the folks that call in and ask a question and we have... Uh, And by we, I mean the experts have some advice for you that uh, could fix that. We'd always love to have some sort of resolution. If it didn't fix it, call us back and let's think of some more things. If it did, let us know. So Jeremy can stop staying up at night wondering if it fixed it for you. I have so many sleepless nights. Please, please call and let us know. (laughs) Just, just Just tie it all back together for us one time. Jeremy, I ask you, can AI intentionally lie to you? Seems like an easy question. Okay, so I asked Bard. <laughs> you asked it if it will lie to us? I asked it if it would lie, right? <laughs> and it says, I am a large language model, blah, blah, blah. However, I'm not able to lie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It says, I'm programmed to be honest and trustworthy. I believe that honesty is important, and I want to build relationships with people based on trust. I will never lie to you, and I will always try to be truthful in my interactions with you. I think they ought to modify that verbiage a little bit. I think well, it ought to say, I will never intentionally lie right. to you. Well, see, I, what I was going to say is I would stick an extra line in that copy after it says, I will never lie to you. But I would say, I may unintentionally misinform you because that's – and look, it, it, if, when you go to OpenAI's website, uh, the, the first prompt – well, I, I actually uh, – I bought the plus version, but if you buy the regular version, it explains to you in in the general chat prompt. It tells you very very many different ways that chats can go sometimes, uh, including sometimes it can give you bad information. 
It just can't. Sometimes it's not it, it's not foolproof. So there you go. It can also forget to remind you. <laughs> so so I told Bard I did not get your reminder, and he says, "I apologize for not reminding you to turn off the oven." Well, my house is burnt down now, so thank you. Um, and then he gave me all the same bullet points. I was going to say, I'm immediately making a bullet point list of ways to remind myself to get your reminders on I love time. It. They ought to change his name to Bullet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, the Bullet. So, yeah, it can – It so for it to – and I'm using the phrase here – intentionally lie – Intentionally lying is deceit, and deceit is backed by emotion and intention. And artificial intelligence cannot have emotion or intention. So from that, in that regard, and it's still wild to me that we're talking about computer language and whether or not we can tie emotion and intention back to it. That's where we are in the world right now. That's wild. You know, it's like it's like talking about, uh, you know, the creation of the world and trying to get your brain around all that kind of stuff and how far back it can go. And you can't get your brain in front of it or behind it because it goes on right. forever and it just blows your, your mind up. Yeah, this is kind of like that. Not exactly to that far out extent, but it's sort of like that. So uh, that's a great question. And somebody else called in. Java told me Java was doing some uh, call screening for us today and mentioned uh, the three laws of robotics. And and I Googled this because I, I didn't I didn't learn that at Wingfield. And uh that's where I learned everything, by the way. My learning well, stopped a, when I left Wingfield. This at Isaac Asimov's school of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for number one saying his name correctly, so I didn't have to. But how how about this? The first law a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human to be, to come to harm. Oh bard. You've already messed up. So if 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 Bard fails to remind you to turn off the oven and your house burns down, has Bard broken the second law of of Asimov's three laws of robotics? And then Google throws their hands up and goes, it's not a robot. It's not. a Well, that's true. That's true. And then Bard immediately makes bullet point list about why it is a robot and how it needs to remember better in the future. Anyway, so that's something. Hey, if you want to look it up, A-S-I-M-O-V, Asimov's three laws. And I'm probably saying that terrible. How did you say it earlier, Jeremy? Isaac Asimov. There you go. I mean, I think that that's how I've always pronounced it. I've never actually like heard it spoken, so that could be wrong. But yeah, I, uh, I, I'm i a big Asimov fan. He's got uh, uh, the book of facts. I mean, he's long gone. He had some amazing chops while he was here. <laughs> Seriously, look him up and look at his sideburns. They're incredible. Um, but he had a, a Isaac Asimov's Book of Thoughts, and that was just like the most amazing book. There were so many. Oh, no, Book of Facts. I'm sorry. Book of Facts. I used to keep it in my bathroom and just learn stuff. It was great. I just appreciate that uh, he is so um, confident in himself that he made a book called The Book of Facts. I would never... Yeah. I would never be so pretentious with myself as to just say this is the book of facts going forward. So I asked Bard, what are the three laws of robotics? He did not give me bullet points. <laughs> it didn't even give me an answer. Because I'm unable to help you with that. Ooh. Maybe you, maybe you struck a nerve. Struck maybe a chord. What are, what are Asimov's? 
three laws of yeah. robotics. Well, yesterday, Apple previewed a bundle of new features designed for cognitive vision, hearing, and mobility accessibility. That includes a new personal voice feature for people who may lose their ability to speak, allowing them to create, quote, a synthesized voice that sounds like them to talk to family or uh, friends or family members. According to Apple, users can create a personal voice by reading a set of text prompts aloud for a total of 15 minutes of audio on the iPhone or iPad. Since the feature integrates with live speech, that's capitalized proper noun, their uh, app, live speech, users can then type what they want, not app, but uh, technology, live speech. Uh, Users can then type what they want to say and have their personal voice, again, caps, uh, proper noun, read it to whomever they want to talk to. Apple says the feature uses on-device machine learning to keep users' information private and secure. Additionally, Apple is introducing streamlined versions of its core apps as part of a feature called Assistive Access, meant to support users with cognitive disabilities. The feature is designed to, quote, distill apps and experiences to their essential features in order to lighten cognitive load. Wow. That includes a a combined version of phone and FaceTime, as well as modified versions of the messages, camera, photo, and music apps that feature high contrast buttons, large text labels, and additional accessibility tools. They offer something like that now where they can kind of like inverse colors on thing, uh, which it's kind of an older version of a nighttime mode that makes everything look in higher contrast, which is easier to see. Uh, work on a custom accessibility mode was spotted late last year in an iOS 16.2 beta release. Apple says the features will arrive later this year, which suggests they'd be a part of iOS 17. So uh, all of this, that's a lot of information. And the headline of this story, which was on The Verge's website, TheVerge.com, it just said this. And whoever is this copy uh, editor, this is an excellent job right here. It caught me completely iPhones will be able to speak in your voice with 15 minutes of training. That's it. That's the headline to that story. Wow. Now, I read a whole bunch of stuff that didn't say nothing about how an iPhone is going to be able to speak with your voice after 15 minutes of training. Like they took, I want to play with this feature. Right. This is something. That is, wow. Like, yeah. If that's serious, if that's real, if it's actually going to work, whoa. Yeah. Kids will be calling their schools <laughs> oh, in their no. mother's voice oh, no. to get their kids oh, checked no. out. You immediately school. went there. You immediately yeah, went there. <laughs> uh, or either training the principal's like voice and sending their parents some sort of thing that say, hey, all the kids are off school tomorrow or something like that. A kid like me in high school with that kind of technology, <laughs> oh, man, so dangerous. Apple, what are you doing? How do you verify all this information? How do you how do you how do you really do it? Can someone trick their mom into training their voice on their iPhone? That's nuts. I, I have to play with this. Right? I may have to get an iPhone, Jay. Uh, ooh, that's serious. That's I know. that's serious right there, which leads us right back around to the first thing we talked about today. This open AI hearing. Um in the Senate. Hard will not answer that question, by the way. Jesus. I, I don't think he wants you to know. 
I asked him who Isaac Asimov was. He said, yeah, he wrote the robot stories. They got the three <laughs> laws of robotics. He and said, I asked yeah. what the three laws of robotics are. And he says, I can't help you with that. That is freaky. It is a little freaky. All right. Hey, we will be back in one week, Wednesday at 10. Join us again. Bring all your AI questions and check back in with us if you called us today and had a question that we tried to help you through. For Jeremy Thompson and Wilkes Cotrera, I'm Jay White. Stay tuned. Coming up next is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10 for Everyday Tech. Download this podcast episode wherever you download your podcasts. And as always, you can listen at mpbonline.org and the free MPB public media app in the iTunes and Google Play Store. So long, everybody. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB public radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.